Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody. Hello, Sue. Good to see you tonight. God bless you all. Amen. Amen. And once again, we do welcome our guests and those that are joining us online, those that are joining us here in the auditorium. And didn't we have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend? It was God honoring and paying proper tribute and uh, honor to those who have died, those that were in the service of our country and those uh, whose life has uh, continued to be an inspiration to us and upon whose example we have built uh, our life, our lifestyle, and uh, hopefully we continue to carry on a good and godly tradition. In just a little while, we'll have uh, an opportunity to participate in the offering. Thank you for the good, generous love offering you gave to the Briones family from the Philippines. I think uh, one of the largest ever, and praise God for each of you and for your generosity. The Briones uh, consider this their second home. Now, I don't expect them to ever move out of the Philippines, but if they did, this is where they would be. And so thank you for loving our people, and uh, people thank you for loving those that come in and serve the Lord. Uh, we're, we're rejoicing in the tremendous, um, the tremendous faithful men's meeting we had uh, last evening. It was scheduled for uh, pre-summer uh, reports and for planning ahead, and we had a good attendance and a good spirit and we got a lot accomplished, and congratulations to those who are in leadership and those who are working so hard and uh, helping uh, to make the church go forward. Praise God for His blessing. Uh, tomorrow is the first day of June, and uh, let's not forget all that's coming up in the month. Of course, on Saturday at 9 a.m. cleaning, be here. 10 o'clock, visitation. We'll be out. We had folks here Sunday that had received literature on their door, several like that. And praise God for each one of them. And so we're going to continue on winning souls and following up and having great time of visitation. Sunday is our first Sunday in June, and we will set the pace for the rest of the month. There's a lot going on in the month of June. Please note that on the 18th, we have Father's Day. Every man who is in attendance will receive a memento for being here. We will honor our fathers. And on the 25th, we will have our graduates and our promotees from uh, school honored in the morning service. And then in the evening, we will honor uh, and present diplomas to all those who have been in Bible Institute this year. We're getting ready for other things that are coming up as well. There will be a meeting this Sunday at 9 a.m. Brother Gabe will conduct it to find out who's going to be willing to help us with upcoming activities. In the middle of July, on the 15th, Saturday the 15th, we need everybody to help out and everybody to bring kids, grandkids, teens, as many young people as we can. We're going to have a summer youth and children's extravaganza. It will be for uh, kids from four years of age through high school in different categories. We'll be working with them, we'll be feeding them, we'll be having games, we'll be preaching and we'll be teaching and having a great composite day. Uh, we don't have VBS or, or camp as such uh, this year, but we will have the extravaganza and then each quarter a great big activity like this through the year. So help us out. Nine o'clock is the meeting uh, over in the Sunday school area. Brother Gabe will be conducting it. Please volunteer 
to be a registrar. Please volunteer to be a personal worker. Please volunteer to be crowd controlled for some age group of our kids. Uh, please volunteer to help out with the competition. And please volunteer to help with the food. So come at 9 o'clock for that meeting. Now also, we're sending out texts, not only about our graduation, we need to get feedback on that, on the graduation, but we're also looking forward to, uh, to hearing back from those who will be a part of our 4th of July picnic. Our patriotic picnic has now been officially moved from Monday the 3rd to Tuesday, the actual 4th of July. The reason is, lo and behold, we discovered almost nobody in public service is getting that Monday off. they got to go to work on Monday the 3rd. I can't believe it. Post office will be open on Monday the 3rd. I can't believe it. And so we'll be setting up on the 3rd, but we'll be having our picnic on the 4th uh, downstairs and throughout. And we'll have sign-up boards to start going around in a week or so. And once you sign up for several food items, bring enough food to feed everybody in your group plus one more group like it so that we can have uh, uh, you know, this sharing of food. We're going to have grilling, uh, burgers, and, and hamburgers, and uh, just a great time. So uh, thank you so much for your participation in that in the month of July. And then let me say this, there will be three training sessions, two for sure, one optional, for our workers in the Prince William County Fair Booth Soul Winning Ministry. We will have on the uh, last two Saturdays of the month of July training sessions, 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Be a part of that. We'll have sign up for that as well. Uh, see uh, Brother Tyler about that and uh, help us with the Prince William County Fair Booth Soul Winning Ministry. Nine days at the fair to win souls to Jesus. I believe the high uh, professions of faith that we've had in years past was 240. And we could... By the grace of God, exceed that. We're also going to distribute hundreds of Bibles, hundreds of Bibles this year, and uh, just have a wonderful time in the Lord. How many believe that God still saves souls? Amen. How many believe that God still transforms lives? I do. Amen and praise the Lord. Mark it down. Our 60th anniversary as a church will be on Sunday, October the 29th. We're going to have missions all that month. We'll have a great uh, 60th anniversary celebration in here with other things going along with it. Many, many people coming. We want you to be a part of that. Now, help us with the ministry. A little later on, we'll be passing the offering envelope. We have bus ministry envelopes as we continue to upgrade and uh, increase our bus presence, our regular envelopes, and our Nehemiah projects, the green writing. That's for the exterior and interior of the building to be improved and worked on. Thank you so much for all that you do. You have helped us so very much. We've gotten a lot of uh, updates on our prayer requests, and we are praying for those that are sick and those that are going through surgeries, those that are coming home. And good news, good news. Uh, Roger Thurston got home from the hospital. Can I hear an amen? Uh, great surgery on his mouth, removing the cancer. Uh, there's going to be a lot of treatments to follow, but we believe that Jesus Christ is the great physician. And so thankful that uh, they're home and rejoicing in the Lord. There are others as well. We're going to have other prayer requests a little bit later on. 
Good to have our guests. Good to have our friends here tonight. There's a Bible in front of you if you don't have your Bible with you. And we are going to turn together to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. Keep in mind, 2 Corinthians is the follow-up letter to 1 Corinthians written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a church made up of people from different backgrounds, mostly Gentiles, some Jews. Uh, they had professed Christ, but they were immature. They were baby Christians. They had a lot of questions. They had a lot of problems. Paul, look at me, Paul did not shrink from his privilege and responsibility of speaking the truth in love. And if you are a born-again believer, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, don't you ever shrink from the opportunity to speak up for Jesus. And don't ever be afraid to tell the truth. Speak the truth in love. And that's what he did. There were still some folks who accused him and said, oh, he's just in it for this reason or some ulterior motive. And uh, he's not really an apostle because he doesn't have letters of certification like, uh, you know, this person over here or that person over there. And Paul responded, not in anger, but very directly saying, I don't need letters of commendation. You are my letters. What God has done, that work of grace that He's done in and through you and what He's done in and through me, that's enough. You don't have to have, you know, I, I met a fellow one time and he was trying to see how many honorary degrees he could procure in his ministry from the beginning to the ending. And this man had the audacity to say, I've got dozens, I've got all kinds of diplomas and, and things in my drawers here. And he pulled out and showed me a stack of those things. He had so many he couldn't even put them up on the walls. And I'm not against education. I've even been known to uh, offer some educational uh, expertise from time to time. But I want you to know that God's favor and His approval is not based on what other people say about us or about you. God's approval will be upon the life in terms of fruit bearing. Mark this down. John chapter 15. If we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us, then we're going to bear what? Fruit. And He wants that to be fruit, more fruit, much fruit. He wants that fruit to remain. Amen? Amen. We need to be fruitful, fruit-bearing believers. It's not just work that we do. In the Christian life, what is produced is known as spiritual fruit. This is not to be confused with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working out of our life. So that while we're doing the work of God and bearing fruit, Christians bearing fruit, we will have the attitude and the spirit and the bearing of the Holy Spirit who is the third person of the Trinity and He indwells every believer. So as we're winning souls, we're doing it with love, joy, and peace and so forth. And that is what the Lord desires. He desires us to be a good example. I was talking to some folks this week about a situation in another city, another church. And so it's not us, so don't try to think who it is. You don't know these people. But talking about how things were being conducted. And I made this statement. I said, any pastor, full-time worker for the Lord 
is going to be observed and will be judged by others on how they deal with people. How would Jesus speak and what would He do and how would He confront individuals and how would He correct situations? This is so important. You know, we need to be right, but we need to be right in the right way. We don't want to do right, but in the wrong way or with the wrong spirit or with the wrong uh, motivation. We need to be very careful about that. Now we're coming over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, last week we closed out with verses 4, 5, and 6. And verse number 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Look this way. I want you to understand something. Paul is contrasting the Old Testament law with New Testament grace. So when he speaks of the letter of the law, he is not suggesting that we are to take the Bible in a loose manner and uh, you know leave some, take some, and so forth. He's not saying that. He's saying the Old Testament represents the letter of the law. The New Testament represents the spirit of the law, but every word counts. Every single syllable is the very God-breathed Word of God. He's not saying just take this and leave that, take this and leave that. He's saying the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was one of demands and one of, of standards and measurements, and no human being is capable of keeping the Old Testament law. If we set out to do that, we're going to fail. And what did James, the half-brother of Jesus, say? He said, uh, if you've broken the law, and we've all done this, if you've broken the law in any part, you've broken it all. We're guilty of it all. So we need to understand that the law of God in the Old Testament, I'm talking about the Decalogue, the Old Testament Mount Sinai law, that law was never intended to save anybody. It was intended to give a standard and because only Jesus Christ meets that standard, Christ, Christ, you see, is the fulfillment, the fulfiller of the law. And the law was the schoolmaster that brought us unto Christ. Jesus Christ is the way. He's the way we're saved. In the Old Testament, they saw Christ in types and symbols. They saw the one who was to come. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died for the sins of all mankind. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Jesus Christ has always been God's plan, God's way, God's provision. And the Old Testament gives us the law so we realize we can only come to God through Christ. We can't, we can't possibly approach God on our own merits. We're not worthy. Only Jesus is worthy. We read in the Revelation, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and honor, and glory. Amen. Jesus Christ is the worthy one. When I took Him as my Savior, I got all the benefits thereof. If you'll take Him as your Savior, dear friend, you'll get all the benefits of Christ having fulfilled the law. In terms of salvation, which is justification, all your sins, past, present, and future, will be taken care of. You will be justified. 
Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. All right? Now that we're saved, we still have a sin nature. We need to keep short accounts with God. We still fail. We stumble. And what we need to be concerned about is sanctification. Every single day we need to confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep short accounts with God. Amen. That's so that we can get our prayers answered. That's so that we're on good footing and have fellowship, full open fellowship with our Lord and Savior. Praise God for that. Now when Paul says that God has made us able ministers of the New Testament, you remember in the Old Testament that Moses needed some help. He needed some help. And so when he got some men, some laymen to assist him, they were called able men. Able men. We have in our church faithful men. We have able men. And those who have stepped up to the challenge and have depended upon God for the wherewithal to help get the job done, these are able individuals. They're able because they realize they can't do it themselves, but they're willing. And that's you and that's me. Alright, so we see as a backdrop to our scripture tonight that there is a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Now follow as I read on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 7. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For the ministration of condemnation, for the ministration of condemnation be glory much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil, notice the spelling, it's not V-E-I-L, all of you spellers, that's the King James spelling, V-A-I-L, over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now we're going to stop at this point and ask God to open our hearts and minds to receive the meaning of this additional scripture that we've just received. And then we're going to ask the Lord to help us to apply it as Christians as we go out from this place. Lord, I pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the Holy Spirit... God, the third person of the Trinity, indwells every saved individual. I pray for every saved person here tonight, everyone that's viewing and everyone that will be viewing online now and in the future. And Lord, will you help us right now to understand this? Give us clarity of understanding. Then help us, Lord, to know how to apply this personally. Help me with the how-to part of it, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There are so many songs and so much that's been written about the glory of God. Down south and out in the country, when you get in those kind of church houses where the preaching's hot, so hot that it's kind of 
ripping the paint off the walls. You know what I'm talking about, old-time preaching. Amen. Amen. You might have some old saint back there yell out, Glory to God. Glory. Amen. Hallelujah. I've told you about the church in Kentucky. Before I came here was the church where they had asked me to come and preach. There was a pastoral vacancy, and they thought perhaps that this preacher would be the one that would be called. And so I came. I shook hands. I was introduced. I stepped into the pulpit. On the front row, there were five deacons. Five deacons. Now, if ever you are in this situation, just be aware of what I experienced. I'm going to share it with you. Each of the five deacons had his own way of expressing himself, and they did. I would be preaching along, and I'd come to something good, say something good, something gripping, something soul-stirring, and the first one would say, Amen! Amen! The second one would say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! third one would say, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! fourth one would say, Glory to God! Glory to God! fifth one said, Park it there, preacher! Park it there! Something like that. You know, and tell them, preacher, get on it, pre get on it, get on it. So they were down there to exhort me, I guess. And I guess everybody else was used to it because they were just going along with the service and getting it all and, and sharing it. So just try to imagine, there I am, I'm preaching my message. Well, I believe the Lord gave me to preach, and I'm talking to these folks, and I probably was saying something about, you know, God wants a God-called shepherd to come. And as the under-shepherd, under-Jesus, who's the great, good, and kind shepherd, he wants to be able to, to teach and to preach in such a way that the sheep will be in one accord. and They'll be moving all in the same direction. About that time, first guy said what? Amen. Second one said, hallelujah. Third one said, praise the Lord. Fourth one said, glory to God. Fifth one said, park it there, preacher, park it there. Let them have it, preacher. Just don't, both barrels, preacher. So every time we'd say something that would be meaningful, that we'd have this row and they would, they would go through their thing. they go through their thing. Now, the bottom line on what comes out of the preaching, the service for the Lord, whatever it may be, it's, it's not placing the stamp of approval on man, but giving the credit and all the glory to the one who is worthy, to the one who is deserving. Amen. That's it. That's it. All these songs about glory, we should be thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about number 17 in your book. I'm not going to turn to it. Jesus will outshine them all. Oh, what glory awaits. Amen. There's going to be glory all around, but when we get in the presence of the Lord Jesus, He's the one who is worthy. He is the one we want to focus on. Certainly in Bible times, there were occasions for that, that visible evidence of the invisible God to be experienced by God's people. The, the glory that filled the temple. Whew. Isaiah said, The glory of the Lord filled the temple, the smoke filled the temple, and the cherubim, and so on and so forth. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, that classic passage of Scripture, the glory of God hovered uh, over the, uh, the, uh, uh, the mercy seat, there behind the veil. And uh, we don't know what the Shekinah glory was all about, but look this way. Today, we are the temple 
of the Holy Ghost. If the Shekinah glory shone out, shone out of the most holy place and was there hovering above the mercy seat, wherever the preaching of the Word of God emanates, wherever the practice of, of Christian living is prominent, wherever God's people are serving the Lord with gladness, there should be some of the Shekinah glory of the Holy Spirit shining out of our life. That's it. I'm thinking about what Peter said. Remember Peter, James and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. In 2 Peter and chapter number 1, it says in verse number 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That voice came from heaven on three occasions at the baptism of Jesus Christ by John and Jordan. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was being baptized not because He had gotten saved or needed to get saved or needed any kind of spiritualizing, because He came as an example. He came, and when John, his cousin, objected and said, You should be baptizing me, John was thinking in terms of comparing... Uh, the individuals to each other, the personalities, the spirituality. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I have need to be baptized of thee that we might fulfill all righteousness. We're fulfilling a standard. We're showing something. So now nobody, nobody who's been saved has any reason to say I shouldn't be baptized. Jesus Christ set the pattern, set the high water mark, the and sample, we have Him. And that's when God spoke and put His stamp of approval. We don't need letters of commendation. When you've got the Word of the Father audibly speaking, wow, think about that, think about that. Then on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, we have, we have uh, let's look at it very quickly, over in Matthew's Gospel, the 17th chapter. I'm, I'm loving this study tonight. How about you? If you're getting something out of it, say amen. Matthew 17, all right? And it's throughout the Scripture, of course, but in Matthew chapter 17, it says in verse 1, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, that's Elijah, talking with him. Moses represents the law. Uh, Elias or Elijah represents the prophets. So we've got the Word of God with those who represent the Old Testament scriptures and ministries. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. Now, who do you think got it wrong? He was impetuous. 
I think his motivation was probably pretty good. But he's saying, let's build three tabernacles. Like, they're equals. They're not equals. Jesus will outshine them all. While yet he spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Isn't that interesting? They were viewing the transfiguration, the shining brightness of Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And at that point, Peter felt inspired to suggest a building project. Let's build three tabernacles. But as soon as they heard the voice of God out of the cloud, they hit the dust, man. That's it. Where is the power? I'll tell you where the power is. The power is in the Word. The power is in that book you're holding, the Bible. Amen. Now, I said three times, and I want to go ahead and follow through. So frequently, I'll make a statement, and then I get wrapped up in my own preaching, and I don't take you to wherever else it is. But I happen to know wherever else it is. And uh, here we are in John, John chapter... Number 12, John chapter 12, and Jesus is, uh, is approached by some Gentiles, some Greeks who'd come up to the feast to worship, and Philip, who's of Bethsaida. Now, if you look on your map in the back of your Bible, you'll find that Bethsaida is right there in the center of a, a, a large settlement of Gentiles. And so they came to worship. And uh, Jesus speaks to them and addresses them and uh, says, Father, in verse 28, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. So the voice is like thunder. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. So when God speaks out of the cloud and authenticates Jesus Christ, it's not because Jesus Christ is lacking in any way. Jesus didn't need to have that verbal authentic authentication in order to be the powerful uh, Son of God in a body. But instead, the authentication was for the purposes of people standing around to say, wow, God just authenticated him. Man, he's the real deal. He's really it. Now let me tell you, the power is still in the Word. Look here. This book right here, it's got the power to transform. It's got the power to make new, brand new. We talked about the power that's in the words and uh, the spiritual aspect of the words. And if you understand it, the Bible is the very Word of God, and it is alive. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4, and please notice what it says in verse number 12. For the Word of God, that's the Bible, is quick. That means alive, like the quick in your fingernails. The Word of God is quick or alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit 
and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, my Bible is an old King James Bible, but it is, in fact, the King James Bible is the living Bible, not some other Bible written by Kenneth Taylor. This is the living Bible. It is alive. It's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It will cut. It will divide. The glory of the Lord is a glory that will not fade. Now, the glory that was shining upon uh, the face of Moses when he came down off the mountain, that faded. Now, he put a veil over his face. It has been erroneously taught by some that Moses did that to keep the people from being afraid. No, the veil he put over his face was the same type as the veil that divided the holy place where the priests went from the most holy place where the Shekinah glory was. Why is that? Because, look at me, once again, it comes down on the people, the responsibility of the people. In Moses' day, the people did not want to come into God's presence or be uh, touched by the Shekinah glory of God. The reason was what was wrong with them in their hearts and uh, not what was wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with God. There's no limitation as far as God's concerned. Why do you think the people in Moses' day said, no, no, we don't want God to talk to us. Moses, you go talk to God. You talk with God. You come back and tell us what God says. May I suggest tonight that there are still some uh, off relatives, kinfolk, cousins of those people from Moses' time. They don't want God to talk to them. They don't want to go to church and feel the power and the presence of God Almighty. They don't want to be under conviction. They don't want God to get that close. They want, they want a little bit of God, just enough to give protection and provision. Lord, don't let the shelves in the store be empty because i got to eat. Lord, don't let the enemy invade because i got to be safe and secure. But Lord, you keep your distance and we'll keep our distance. Uh, we don't want to get so close that the Shekinah glory touches us. Listen to me, folks. If you're born again, if you're saved the Bible way, the Shekinah glory shouldn't just be near you, it should be inside of you. Shining out, touching the hearts and lives of other people, bringing lost folks to the Savior. I'm speaking tonight about the glory that will not fade away. The glory of Moses' face faded. The glory that was up on the Mount of Transfiguration faded. Jesus' visage returned to that of His normal appearance. Now, that was a precursor, a prelude, let's use it that way, a prelude to His kingdom appearance. Jesus Christ glorified. Look in uh, Revelation 1 when you get home and you'll see that he had, uh, 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 he had um, uh, eyes that burned. He, he had uh, feet like, like uh, brass and uh, eyes like fire and hair like wool. And it was a very stirring uh, visage, a picture. This is the glorified Christ who's going to rule and reign a thousand years. If anybody thinks they're going to mess with that, they, they've got a problem. They've got a big problem. All right. But I find that people are taken by and impressed greatly with temporary glory. 
if the star of the NBA were to walk in the back. Now, that's a debate. Everybody, you know, they, they want to talk about the greatest of all time. And every era's got their greatest of all time. And every, every city or area, every group of rooting fans have their greatest. But whoever is the current, you know, NBA star, if you were to walk in here towering, you know, so high that he'd have to duck to get in the door. And he walked in. And I'm preaching about Jesus Christ. If for no other reason, curiosity would cause people to turn around and look at this, this tall basketball player. If the greatest lineman in the NFL were to walk through the doors and have to come through sideways because he's so broad, he's so big, if he had to come through, and I'm preaching about Jesus Christ, who is the very glory of the Father Himself. He is the express image of God. He's God in a body. There'd be some people turn around and look. If there was, if there was a celebrity, a movie star, a famous politician, uh, a big-time business person, one of the problems that we have with, uh, with our media today is everybody knows what everybody else is doing and what they look like and what they said today. And we are easily impressed, aren't we? Because somebody made a million or a billion or many billions of dollars. We're impressed. But there has yet to be born the person who's going to take it with him. They're going to leave it all behind. You've heard of celebrities that have hundreds of classic cars, expensive cars. They're going to leave them all behind. Someone else is going to drive them. Someone else is going to live in all those mansions. Somebody else is going to wear that wardrobe. Somebody else is going to eat their food and their pantry. And everything that is theirs will not belong to them when they breathe their last. Because their glory fades. It's going to be gone. The joke a few years ago, I'm saying uh, after the initial, you know, whatever, tremor, the shock. The joke was, Billy Ray who? Billy Ray who? Because the glory that's temporary fades. And it's gone. It's gone. But Jesus, Jesus will outshine them all. And while we're living down here in this body, we can keep short accounts with God. Sanctification. Because we've got the very Spirit of God within us, we've got the potential to shine the Shekinah glory wherever we go. And people say, you know, he or she spoke like Jesus. He or she acted like Jesus, responded like Jesus, took care of that problem like Jesus. That's it. That's the glory that will not fade away. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. When you've got this right, hope isn't a whim or a wish. Hope is that firm foundation under your feet. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. We've got, we've got that solid rock hope in Jesus Christ. And so we can use great plainness of speech. We're not speaking plainly because we think we're somebody. 
We're using great plainness of speech because we're serving the one who is worthy. You talk about somebody, he is that somebody. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Moses wore that veil. It signified the fact they didn't even want to have anything to do with the glory of God. But today, not for personal reasons, but for the glory of God, may we have a desire to be used by God. May we have a desire to show something that is better. I've seen in the book of Hebrews where the terminology better is used again and again, that the covenant of grace that we have in Jesus Christ is shed blood, is finished work. The gospel, Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. This covenant is called the new covenant, the second covenant, and the better covenant. It does not get better. It cannot be improved upon. It is the better covenant. We have it all in Jesus Christ. And what we're enjoying now is not based upon our performance, but is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we have and enjoy what we have and represent what we represent on the basis of our relationship of God. The way has been made plain. It has been cleared and opened by Jesus Christ. We no longer are subject to written law. We have the Spirit of God Himself through the Word, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 26. We are the temple of God. We do have within us the Shekinah glory of the Holy Spirit. The effect of the old versus and contrasted with the new is this. The old covenant merely killed and showed the need of the new covenant through Jesus Christ, which gives life. That's it. The Spirit gives life. He gives the divine nature of God and a desire to please God. And whereas the old covenant had a glory that was temporary, the new covenant has a glory that will never, 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 never fade away. The old covenant condemned. Uh, the new covenant brings righteousness. The old covenant is gone. The new covenant remains and is permanent. And praise the Lord for that. In Hebrews chapter 8, to which I just referred, it says, A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments. And do them. Ezekiel 36 is explained in Hebrews chapter 8 in some detail. But I understand what it means. It means the old is passed away. All things are become new. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us by God. He's given us the inside information. He's given us that special relationship. We've got all of that. The people withdrew from the glory of God in Moses' day, but in contrast to that, the glory of God, look here, the glory of God draws 
the lost to the Savior shows the need, the conviction, but the answer is in Jesus Christ. He always has been and ever will be God's plan for mankind to be saved. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, something in that message spoke to my heart. Something was stirred within me. God spoke to me. Put your hand up high so I can see it right now. God spoke to my heart. Amen and amen all across the auditorium. God spoke to hearts and we're very thankful. And now with our head bowed and our eyes closed, if you do not know for sure that heaven is your home, you're not positive beyond any doubt, would you do this right now? Would you pray from your heart to God and ask the Lord Jesus to come in and save you? Do it right now. Pray something like this from your heart to God. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Now heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer, and you truly meant it, would you put your hand up right now? I prayed that prayer, and I meant it. Amen. Father, we thank you now for all that you're doing in our hearts and our lives tonight. Bless us and help us. And while our heads are bowed, we're going to get ready to sing a song. This is a hymn of invitation. I'm going to step down to the front. If you would like to come and pray, you may come on your own and pray. Find a place to sit or kneel and then go back to your seat. You may pray for your own needs or for the needs of others or ask God to let the Shekinah glory of His Spirit shine out of your life and draw people to Christ. That may be it. You may have a need, a problem, or a burden. You can come and pray about it. But I'll be standing down front. And if you want to come and tell me that you've prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior then I'll have someone pray with you and show you about the Christian life. If you desire baptism or membership, you come and tell me. If you want to come and pray, you come and find a place to pray and then go back to your seat. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing together.